0: Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, AKA TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today we are gonna talk about becoming a TV writer by working your way up through the assistant ranks
1: and into the fabled writer's room. With our special guest, Ning Zhou, who is a story editor on Ozark. Welcome, Ning. Hi. Hi. Thanks for being here.
2: Thanks, thanks for
1: having me. Of course, and uh, let's get started. First up, where are you from originally, and how did you end up in the industry and in LA?
2: I was born in China. I was uh, originally from, I guess, all over, but mainly North Carolina. I went to Chapel Mm -hmm. Hill and was in New York. I just moved to LA actually probably about three years ago, but I was in New York. Started off in sort of like PR. I was doing like agency work. Did that for a little bit. Ended up at HBO doing publicity. It was a weird timing and a Probably a very poor, like, career choice on my part at the time, (laughs) but it was sort of like the end of sort of like the heyday for them. So it was like the last season, Sopranos, last season, The Wire. And during that time, just kind of being in publicity, meeting all the showrunners of those shows, reading sort of like all the pieces that were coming out, I was like... Might be nice to run a show. Like, terrible. Like, this is not the way that anybody should choose a career <laughs> path type of thing. But ended up working as an assistant with these three producers on a show called Damages that was shooting in Brooklyn at the time. So, uh, was started off as like a producer's assistant. Eventually, they did a show called Bloodline, moved up to writer's assistant, met this guy Chris Mundy who runs Ozark Now off Bloodline. And then basically writer's assistant on the first season of Ozark and then got bumped up to staff writer. And now I'm a story editor. I think that's how it goes. So that's kind of been the path in for me.
0: Great. And uh, just going back to those early days, did you have any inspirations in TV and film that sort of uh, drew you into the medium?
2: I mean, at the time, because I was so, you know, I've been working at HBO and I think like, The Sopranos was a huge, huge thing. You know, even then, I mean, I think they were, like, probably eight years into their run. All right. But that was great. I remember, like, Friday Night Lights was probably, like, just coming off at that time. I mean, this is how long ago it was. I think it was, like, the final season of Lost may have aired when I was working there. <laughs> like, wow, that's a long time ago. But – um I think it was just a really interesting time. It was like probably a few years before streaming started. So there was this, it had already been this huge shift to sort of premium cable and you know, damages was on FX and I think that they were trying to do some sort of like interesting things. They were trying to sort of find some interesting voices at the time.
0: Right, because they, I think they just came off of The Shield and uh, Niptock yeah. and all those different shows.
2: Yeah, and, and quite honestly, it was a time where HBO was still trying to find its footing. It was like right before Game of Thrones and it was sort of like this two-year gap where they didn't have anything. So there was um, I think at the time, I think the field was just kind of like trying to figure out like, well, what's, what's next.
1: And was that job at HBO, your first exposure to the entertainment industry and like, what kind of stuff did you learn from that before moving into more of the creative side?
2: Yeah, pretty much what I enjoyed about it was that it gave me a ton of exposure to really sort of like the studio end, or at least the network end of things and how they perceive their brand. I mean, I was specifically in, in publicity. It was interesting. It was, they were at a time when they were not, obviously this preno started in like the early 2000s, I think. So, you know, my boss and the people that I worked with had been there for maybe 20, 25 years. And they talked about how when they started at this place, it was nothing. Like they ran movies. They had, I think the Gary Shanling show, like they had very little to run on. And it's grown in the past like 10, you know, 15, 20 years into this huge thing where- they didn't have to make the calls anymore. The calls came to them. So it was interesting to even get that perspective of how, as a studio, you know, they were sort of like adjusting and the fluctuations that they were going through and what you have to do in order to sort of stay on top of things. It was kind of just like a fascinating glimpse into that world.
0: And looking back in those days now, did you learn anything that you were taking now into the artist's room or was it kind of completely disconnected from that world?
2: Oh, uh, you mean HBO or just? Yeah. yeah. I definitely think in terms of selling yourself, I mean, it's a mm. terrible thing, but I think like, <laughs> you know, it's really difficult sometimes as a writer to be able to think about how to sell a piece, how to market a piece. And I think that that was quite honestly a, a pretty big learning lesson in, listen, people need things sort of dumbed down, very encapsulated in a very quick way. And I remember Richard Plepler at the time talking about, you know, the brand itself. It's about, it's stardust. We have core shows that are the moneymakers. And then we have shows, uh, you know, at the time, Girls, I think was just, just starting up when I left, but they were like, those are the niche shows that are bringing us a lot of like attention It's bringing us press. It's people saying like, this is the network that is still viable and they're still putting out interesting things. So it's interesting when I have a pilot or a pitch, be able to at least adjust when you're in the room of like, this is where I think it could fit in terms of like a network and, and where they
1: see themselves. So how did you get that first interview to be working on damages then in transition out of the other job?
2: I had basically, I was pretty open with coworkers that I was looking to do something in production. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So there was a lot of stuff that was shooting in New York at the time. Cause I think the tax incentives had just really started up, but I knew, okay, I think I, it took me a little bit to admit to myself that I wanted to write. It was such a huge leap <laughs> <laughs> that I was like, I don't know, maybe I want to line produce. Maybe I want to like do stuff on set. So I was like, you know what, I'll find a producer's assistant job. I'll see what that is like. And I'll go from there. But a a friend of mine had just left and had just gotten connected with the producer on damages. And it just so happened that she was like maybe two months into the job and was like, Hey, one of the other assistants here is leaving. You'd be working with me. Do you want to come on? So yeah, just kind of hopped on from there.
0: And do you have any tips on nailing those assistant interviews and getting that job?
2: I honestly think what was helpful for me at the time was Todd Kessler who was one of the producers had worked on the Sopranos way back in the day and knew some some people that I knew from HBO and I think just they were looking for somebody who kind of had that studio experience or that agency experience so I think that was helpful. I think the other thing is just be open. I mean one thing that they had asked me during the interview was like what do you think you want to do? Where do you and I was like what do you want to do in 5 years or whatever. <laughs> And I was like, I'm just open. I'm just here to like learn. Like, I don't know anything about this field. I think I'm interested in writing. I think I'm interested in in set stuff. I think I'm interested in editing. I want to be able to like learn and listen from you guys. So I think just being open and I think even like having worked with a lot of, you know, PAs and assistants now, I think the assistants that we love the most are the ones who, like, you don't have to come in being like, this is going to be the best day ever. In fact, don't do that. But, you know, I think as long as you're just on top of your job, you have a good attitude about things like, you know, people will sort of find you and take you under their wing as long as you're excited about the work you're doing.
1: that's kind of all there is to it. Yeah. So this is a a showrunner's assistant job? Yeah, yeah. Can you walk us through just the responsibilities of that for those people who aren't familiar?
2: Oh, God, let me just go back to the machine. Um, (laughs) You know, from the day to day, it's you're basically, you know, you're the gatekeeper, essentially. On that show in particular, we shot, we wrote, and we edited in one stage, one studio. You basically, you're fielding calls. You know, you have talent calling. You have agents calling. You're doing a lot of, like, call rolling. You're doing a lot of scheduling because... There's a lot of things that are coming up during production. It's like production meetings and meetings with directors and, you know, just managing that schedule. There's a lot of grunt work. It's a lot of like, hey, it's raining today. Can you go get soups from the East Village? You know, it's like, yeah, we're in Brooklyn, but it's cool. Just like take an hour to like go do that. So there's a lot of grunt work. And the hours at the time were, you know, they were production hours. If we shot for 16 hours, we were there for, you know, 16 hours. You're there, you know, odd times a night. It, you know, that I think is sort of like showrunner and show dependent. But at the same time, you get to meet a lot of great people. The the biggest advantage on that show was if I ever had a break upstairs, you know, we shot right downstairs. So I would go down the stages or if we were on location, I would go out with them on location or if one of the guys I worked for was directing, I would be on set with them. And they were great in terms of like opening up the writer's room to me in terms of like opening up editing to me. So I think just being in that position where you can find people who are like, hey, if you're interested in this, come take a look. That's, you know, I think it all adds to the knowledge of, of someone who's interested in doing this. And it really gives you a good idea of like what it is to run a show. I think there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, I really want to run a show. And I'm always like, do you really? Because it's it's a lot of skills that I think are really difficult to balance and to find in one person.
0: So being in that position must have been kind of a steep learning curve initially. Do you remember any mistakes or blunders that you made that you now know that's not really the way to do things?
2: If anybody's worked at a studio or an agency, they would know. It's like on the most basic level, it's who is this person who's calling me right now? Like, what are sort of like the social (laughs) guidelines? The woman I was working with at the time was so great. She had worked with uh, the head of a studio. And so she knew sort of how to maneuver some of that stuff. And she was like, listen, here's the phone list. Here's a list of contacts. And here are the names that you should know. And if this person calls, put them through. And if it's anyone else, like, ask me who it is. And so she was incredibly incredibly helpful because i'd never really done a job like that i was doing publicity stuff but i never did like a, a ton of like that type of like assistant stuff so it was a totally new muscle in terms of here, sort of like the social code goes i mean even as some, something as simple as like you know it's like they don't want to talk to him right now okay put him on hold Give it five seconds to be like, you know what? I can't get them right now. Like, it's just just the most basic things I had no idea about. So that was difficult. I think being on set, I think, was a huge learning curve. Like, huge, huge learning curve. Best piece of advice was just stay out of people's way. Don't do anything to sort of, like, interfere with other people doing their jobs. And being, like, very respectful. And just don't step on any toes, really. Learning to work with, like, line producers. Like, what's their headache? What can you do to, like, smooth that over? ADs. ADs are your best friend. <laughs> if you are kind to them, don't make your AD mad. So there, there were just a lot of things. How to juggle if you had a showrunner who didn't want to really come out, didn't have the time to sort of deal with something at a particular time, sort of how to to juggle that. So there's a lot of that. I think that, you know, it was
1: all super helpful. And how did you then make that transition from showrunner's assistant to being our writer's assistant in the room?
2: Yeah, I basically didn't leave I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging around, guys. Like, <laughs> like you can't get rid of me. You know, off of that show, they uh, probably had about a, a year, maybe a year and a half of sort of development time while they were developing the next one, and I just kind of stuck around and just said, hey, I'm here. And I would love to be your writer's assistant Like when you're ready to do it. I basically gave them not a ton of choice by the end of it.
1: It definitely seems like there's been a through line of just kind of making your intentions known to your bosses that you yeah. want to be involved in the creative side or you want to be a writer's assistant yeah. and not being afraid to kind of put yourself out there and yeah. say that.
0: It
2: sucks. It really does. You have to be clear. I've been lucky in the sense that I've worked with people who are cool with bringing people up in the ranks. And there are a lot of showrunners who aren't really – that's not their thing. They don't really pay attention to it. And I think if you are in a situation like that, I think you just have to judge for yourself. Like, is this worth the time? Because a lot of times if you're working with somebody who is going to be sort of closed off and inflexible, it might be a better idea to find someone else. I think a lot of it is – making your intentions clear and kind of at a certain point saying you got to just draw the line and be like hey I want x and if like look I know you guys are struggling with certain things but just letting you know if it's not happening then you should just tell me I mean I think to me being sort of open about those things is the best way to handle it and it's so it's super scary it's like he wants to do that but i think you can you know there are things that you can do to sort of seed it out it's like i remember working with those guys and just be good at your job be super engaged if you have things that you like about the storytelling tell them just like be curious let them know that you are still paying attention i mean i think the worst that you can do is sort of be you know, really silent about things or not be sort of, you know, opinionated about things. And I did that job for many years. I did that job for probably like three or four years. And it was dispiriting in so many ways because you're like, wow, what's next? Like you were just in, I was living in New York at the time. So it's like, you're barely making enough to sort of get by. But I think that there is a lot of soul searching in terms of like, is this what I want? Okay, if this is what I want, then I'm just going to have to be very clear about it. I mean, look, when you actually have to make that leap to writing, that's the trickiest part, right? Because it's on your shoulders to show people that you actually know how to do it. So I think a lot of that time for me was spent just trying to figure out like, what story, like what's, how do I do this thing? I think about the skills and the knowledge I learned from that experience You know, when I write now, I try to keep those things in mind. I try to keep an eye on sort of like physical production, at least, because whatever you execute has to actually be shootable. (laughs) So it's things like that. It's like understanding, you know, and it's tiny, tiny things. We had to deal a lot with like clearances. I dealt with clearances for years and years and years. And like learning that system, we had this really bizarre thing where the character on Ozark, their last name is Marty Bird. It was spelled B-I-R-D. And it wouldn't get through clearances. And I just was like, okay, what about this spelling? What about this spelling? What about this? and it's just this it's the tiniest, tiniest thing, but we managed to be able to keep the last name. And um I think the creator was like actually like pretty happy about that. He was like, <laughs> I don't, he was like, I don't think he wanted to change it to anything else. I think it was like stuck in his mind like that. And I, that was just something small I learned from damages because they try to, I think, have a different spelling of Patty Hughes, and they had to put that through probably about 10 times. Wow. Just tiny, tiny things. It's all knocking around in there somewhere. (laughs) It all all strangely accumulates.
0: And uh, for those listeners who may not know, can you walk us through the responsibilities of being a writer's assistant?
2: Yeah. So it gets easier, you guys. When you're a writer's assistant, you are mainly in the room. You don't have to grab lunches. You don't have to walk the dogs, (laughs) unless you really want to. It's... You're taking notes, but what you're also trying to do in the middle of all that is sort of like condense it in a really understandable way. So the way that I tend to do it, and I think is different for every show, is I'm not writing everything down. Or I'm writing everything down, but at the end I'm trying to call together a general understanding of what just happened. (laughs) Because (laughs) so many times we go around in circles and circles and circles in a room, and sometimes – you get to understand the rhythm of like, oh, I think this is something that we're getting to. And that's actually, now that I think about it, a very like unconscious skill that you pick up is like when you start to sort of feel where you are actually, there's like a switch that goes off in your brain. You're like, oh yeah, actually that that totally makes sense. I totally think that clicks with like everything we're talking about. So you start to sort of like hear those ideas being spilled out. So a lot of it is just like, you're literally just note-taking. But at the same time, you are sort of like a very important backbone. I mean, even now on outline and on script, you kind of need somebody there to like catch everything that's being pitched out. It's really difficult for me, at least, to be able to listen and like absorb and like turn things in my head at the same time. I don't (laughs) know if anybody else has that role. But um, it's, you know, it's just having that that set of ears, that safety net that's like, hey, I think we said these things. Hey, what did we say like two weeks ago about like this character? Like, wait a minute, like, let's go, can we go back like three months ago to say what we were doing for the season? So it's really just helping to keep everybody organized. You're at the whiteboard a lot. You're gritting out the season. You're gritting out, you know, sort of like key themes, key ideas, things like that.
0: Do you have any specific tips on taking the best kinds of notes?
2: What I would tend to do is... I think you have to recognize sort of like the ebb and flow of the room. So at the beginning, you're doing a lot of blue skying. It's a lot of big picture ideas about, hey, this is where I think we should go and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of that is like lists. It's like, okay, we said this, we said that, blah, blah, blah. And then I would always literally just slug in a line at the end where it's like, hey, key things we want to keep or like key things that we're landing on keep those in a box sort of like in the notes so that when you go back, somebody's like, Hey, remember that thing we said on week, blah, blah, blah. Like, can we go back and like, see what we found? And then that way I know exactly what I can copy and paste into another document. So everybody just has that, you know, if you're ever asked to just sort of like say like, Hey, were there things that we landed on? I'm like really into folders and like a laptop. (laughs) I mean, it's so small, but it's like, I like to keep things by weeks. So I'm like week one. It's so if I go back and they're like, hey, when we were like brainstorming the beginning, if I knew that we were brainstorming probably the first four weeks that we were in the room, I just pop open those folders a little bit more. It's sort of like, I don't know. And, you know, things always sort of tend to get lost in the shuffle, but sort of those were, you know, things that I would kind of try to keep tabs on at the very least. I think I was also very good at. I have a decent memory for things, but I'm also like a huge visual learner. And one of the really important things we do on Ozark is we grid out the season on a whiteboard and we do it by color and we do it by character. I'm sure a lot of rooms do this, but it's super, super helpful. You're kind of like zooming in, you're zooming out, you're zooming in and zooming out a lot. So that kind of helped to keep everybody on the same page about, hey, this is kind of the tent pole that we're trying to hit at this point in the season. And like, this is kind of where we're going. So I would have that on the whiteboard, turn that into like a word document where I just made the grid and like very basically copied the thing and had the same colors just so that everybody was just, you're on the same page and there's no excuse for anybody to be like, I didn't get that thing. It's like, well, it's on your desk. (laughs) Um, You want to know the show almost more than the writer's. That's kind of how
0: I would say right. it.
2: You want to know the things that you guys landed on, the things that you talked about. You want to understand that pretty
1: You're well. You're like the keeper of the story. You're the
2: keeper of the story. That's that's exactly what
1: it is. Yeah. And to that point, how creatively involved were you as a writer's assistant? Did they welcome pitches and contributions?
2: Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely more so on Ozark. You know, the showrunner is like really open to, you know, a lot of suggestions. And in both the rooms I was in, people were pretty open to hearing sort of everybody's ideas and so so that was that was kind of great um i know that there are some situations where people are you know you're literally just typing and other people are dictating to you so that's a little bit tricky but you can always sort of find some time to even if it's not the showrunner pull another ep aside pull somebody else aside and say like hey i was thinking this like that's all it has to be you just have to show people that you are interested and you kind of know what you're talking about. There were times on bloodline where I would pipe up and be like, Hey, what if we just did this thing? And it actually worked. <laughs> 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 they actually, they actually like those ideas. So, and I think the nice thing about that too, is like, you have to think about it as like training wheels. You are going to be shot down so hard so many times. Mm-hmm. And listen, it does not get any better. I have days in the room where I'm like, wow, I don't know what I'm working on clearly because Mm. nothing I say is like getting any attention or any traction. So I think a weird unconscious thing it helps you with is being able to speak out loud, which is odd how scary it can be the first time because you have like 10 people sitting around a table staring at you when it happens. So I think just the act of being able to do that, the act of being able to verbally put together an idea and like sort of give it sort of like visual cues so that people understand what you're talking about. I think that's something that I'm, I'm still, I mean, trying to articulate an idea versus writing it is actually still a skill that I'm trying to wrap my head
0: around a little bit. And how did you get that first writing job on Ozark and make that transition? What do you think made the difference there?
2: I had a good relationship with the showrunner. We had worked together a little bit on Bloodline, so he knew me from that. He knew I'd been with those producers for years. But mainly, I wrote two samples. You know, I was fortunate enough that the writers in the room were super open to reading them, giving notes. So I got a lot of help from them, got a script to the showrunner, and he was like, yeah, we want to bring you on. I think it was a combination of, like, Developing those relationships and honestly just being lucky enough to find a team that is open to that. And a lot of shows, it's unfortunate because I think there are a lot of showrunners who aren't open to that. They don't necessarily like a staff writer, is kind of the last person you want to hire because <laughs> there's a lot to be learned. I mean, even now, it's like to understand what the difference between 15 years experience and two years of experience is, it's the gap is huge. I know a lot of people don't really want to take a risk on that. But at the same time, to any showrunners who might be listening, I think you're missing out on a huge amount of life experience and background. And, you know, you want to keep a show interesting. And there's nothing wrong with including sort of like that variety of voices and and perspectives.
1: Uh, Do you have any tips or advice for people who are kind of in that intermediate period where they're, you know, maybe working on support staff or as an assistant they're on the verge of getting staffed? How can they kind of push themselves over that line?
2: I definitely think letting people know is a huge thing, letting people know you're interested. I think continuing to write on your own and continuing to build those skills. Other writers in the room are huge assets to have them read a piece, to have them, you know, kind of give you notes on things. They, if you ask them, most writers will say like, yeah, if I ever hear of somebody who's staffing for something or like, hey, I might be getting a show of my own keep those networks alive that probably is more important in many ways than even getting your first agent so there's a lot of that i think stating that intention is really important and having a really it's so scary but like having an honest discussion with somebody about like hey how do you think i've what do you like me do you like my work (laughs) do you like what i do and the worst that somebody can tell you is like, hey, don't think it's a good fit. Or like, hey, don't think there's any room. Okay, so adjust from there. And I think especially, I had gone through a really, you know, in New York, there there's a sort of a limited amount of writer's rooms that happen in the East Coast. So it was like, oh, if I lose this job, like, what am I going to do? Look, you'll find another job. Like, you kind of have to, because you got to pay the rent. It's just sort of being like, hey, at a certain point, you just kind of have to draw the line and say, like, maybe I just need to bet on myself a little bit. It's scary. It's really scary.
0: And uh, going to those first few days in the writer's room as a a staffed writer, did you feel any added pressure being on staff, even though you had already been in the room before? Yes.
2: (laughs) You don't want to sound like an idiot. A ton. Even though I knew those people, it was like, okay, I have to prove to people that I'm not just here because I've worked my way up even though that sounds ridiculous it's like okay i think i i think i I can actually do this and it's not just like somebody did me a favor yeah i think there's a lot of that i think there's a lot of sort of stress about whether or not you're doing the job right whether or not you're pitching the correct things whether or not you're saying the right things whether or not you're contributing but i think that first year i had a writer tell me oh my god this is so he's literally like one level above me and he was like okay here's a secret nobody expects anything of you, like nothing, (laughs) right? He's like, just stay open for now and try to learn everything you can and just kind of do your best. You kind of just got to go on blind faith a little bit that people will support you. I mean, most people, I think if they're nice people, will give you the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you're going to pitch some real duds. It is going to (laughs) be so rough in there. But, you know, you kind of, you'll get a feel for the show and hopefully the people you work with are supportive enough to say like, hey like what if we did this and the hardest hardest thing is this is going to sound very la and like my new york version like hates it but um you kind of have to let your ego go there's a lot of like i want to prove to you i want to show you i can do this like i'm i like I yeah i'm like i'm super smart and i can i can break the story on my own and you can't it's <laughs> it is it's a collaborative process unless you are Upper mid to upper level, you are controlling the levers there, and even then, you should stay open. But I would say the the main thing is, I remember going through my first break on the episode, and I was just like really beating myself up because I wasn't finding what the episode was, and we were having. It's like you and look, as a staff writer, you get tossed these mid season episodes that are to an experienced writer, it's difficult. You're dealing with a lot of like. You essentially have like 15 balls up in the air because episodes one through six, you are accountable for understanding that story. You are accountable for towing that line. So it's a lot to juggle. It's hard to make those episodes interesting. And I think at the time I didn't know that. So it was like, oh, God, I'm just doing a terrible job here. You kind of just have to trust. You have to trust that people are, are guiding you in the wrong direction and nobody wants to make a crappy show. I mean, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it's just, you know, depending on the room, you're like, oh, man, every all of you are sinking this ship. But most of the time, you're on the same team. Nobody's trying to fight you. And I think if you're open to it and you're not super resistant, you'll be okay. And I think you get put on the spot a lot. There's a lot of moments where somebody is trying to pitch you the logic of something they're trying to pick you and you just like like i just went through this like i was so unmovable i was so like that makes no sense and then i'll take an hour away from the room and i'm like actually that makes a lot of sense <laughs> so it's all of that and it's just trying to have a good attitude it's so hard to shut down <laughs> like, mm-hmm.
0: it's really... you gotta remember why you are in yeah, the very first place yeah i mean
2: yeah, it's different. It's it's And it's tricky because as a writer, right, it's like, you know, we're in the room half the year or maybe like eight months out of the year. And then the rest of the time you're working on your own stuff. And there's nobody who's telling you how to do those things. So it's a weird line to have to toe to go back and forth from.
1: And what was it like getting your first script as the stuff writer? How did you kind of approach that?
2: It was scary. It was really scary. It was super nerve-wracking. I think once... You know, we have a whole process there where we sort of spend a day or two sort of talking about general ideas of what's falling off of the other episodes. You have a few concrete plot things that you have to turn, right? And I always end up, the past few years, I've ended up with episodes where something crazy has happened and then I got to like deal with it. (laughs) So it's, it's it's a lot of like fallout and like whatever. That first year, I mean, the first time I did it, it was... I think I've almost blocked it out of my memory. You kinda like psych yourself out a little bit. It's like, well, I think it should be this. And people are like, no, that's that's we're not gonna play it like that. We're not gonna play it like you wouldn't, you know. So you're not only are you trying to get a feel for what the show is, but you're also trying to break a little bit of new ground in terms of trying to make it keep it interesting for the viewers. And the problem with television now or the difficulty in television now is that there's so much of it. It's just a great thing, but at the same time like things get copied faster it's like oh I've seen this before you know the difficulty becomes like how do you make it sort of fresh how do you make that tension hold but I think a lot of it was honestly on that first script I was really trying to find my footing I tend to write in a way where I know what needs to go into a scene the first time I hit it there's an instinctual structure that comes out of it to me but uh, what I'm learning now is that there's so many levels of fine tuning. There's so many, you know, we were just, I was just thinking the other day, like there was this scene in a thing that I had where I thought it was going to be one thing. And then a writer said like, actually, I think it's this, I think it's this feeling. And I was like, Oh my God, you're totally right. So being able to sort of, stay open to what that looks like and recognize when a good idea is a better idea than the one you have, which is, I would say, 99% of the time. You know, that's when you get to sort of have fun. And that's when the episode really opens up and you start to see sort of like the different colors and the variations that you can give it.
0: And looking at breaking stories for Ozark specifically, can you walk us through that process? How much skying or versus episode building do you guys do?
2: Yeah, we do about, I would say, like, two weeks of, of Blue Sky. You know, a lot of this is showrunner dependent. There are showrunners who take a really long time to make decisions. Our room, we tend to put down tent poles pretty quickly. And actually, the adjustment from show to show was so... Crazy to me that as a writer's assistant working on Ozark, I was like, oh, really? We're doing this? Is that that a decision that we just make? So, you know, it depends on the show to show, like what that timing is. But we put down temples pretty quickly for the season. Or at least there's at least a sketch of like where you want that character to go or like a feeling of where you want that character to go. And then we start basically just sort of breaking episodes where I think we spend about a week on the break. Then we card. We card. That goes for about a week. So we write out all the scenes sort of by character. We tack it on the board so everything's like color-coordinated by character. And then you basically break out, okay, we know he's going to do this. We're going to do that. Like you break out the scenes that you think you have. And then you do a blend on another board. So, um, you know, act one, act two, act three, you kind of just beat out, okay, And a lot of things, it's tricky. It's like, there are plot things, right? Things need to fall in a certain order. But it's always, it's like, what's the flow of that scene? Like, what do you think that scene is in your head? And being able to describe something, it's a tricky, tricky skill to have.
1: It's a really tricky skill to have. So when it's time for a writer to do their episode, they're given this kind of breakdown of the beats and all the acts, and they go Mm -hmm. off and write an outline, and then that Mm -hmm. comes back. And how does it all flow in from there?
2: You do your beats, you walk through verbally what is necessary in those scenes, like what the feeling state is probably by the end of those scenes. And then you go off, you do that outline, you flesh it out a little bit more. You basically, at that point, what I think of it as is you're given your box, right? Like, here's your box. Here is kind of like what you need to do with the box. But you are given sort of like a set of markers or crayons, and it is your job (laughs) to make it interesting so you're coloring within the lines but you're making it an interesting picture look if you're a more senior writer that line can cross <laughs> a little bit more but i think when you're a junior writer it's like okay it it needs to be this you can be you know they want you to be, be playful they want you to be inventive they want you to give a scene a shape that they haven't seen before or thought of before so you try to do that But that's, you know, again, even now, that's a skill that I'm learning. It's like, how do you balance what people are telling you the scene is with what you had in mind? So there's there's a little bit of that. And then when you go off to script, we go through the outline in a lot of detail and we've had outlines come in in a really, really good shape. And we'll still do probably an hour or two of notes on those just to make sure that we're landing in certain places. And then when you have an outline, people can also get a sense of is the flow of the piece good? Do we need to intercut things? We need to move things around. Is the story making sense? Like you can tell in the outline oh boy, like you, there's always like a handful of like duds that you're like, <laughs> oh God, what was this supposed to be? Like the logic does not track. And then you can, I mean, I'm I'm pretty open with people when I'm like, this is garbage and it makes no sense. So help me make sense of it because I don't think I captured what you had in your mind. And then some people, like you'll say, like people will say out what you have in mind. You're like, that makes no sense. So then it's, it's everybody making sure you're on the same page and making sure that, you know, things track. When you go off to script, when I have an outline, I pretty much have a very good visual sense and also a structural sense of what I'm doing. I know certain lines I'm throwing in. I know the rhythm that I'm going into. So the script process is so much easier. I've been in situations where I've seen writers go from a beat sheet to have to go to script because of time. And they're, they're turning out a script in a week. And it is... It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work because there's a lot of gaps in understanding what the showrunner wants. And sometimes it's because it hasn't been communicated well, or sometimes it's different shows work in different ways. So we have a pretty good system on that. And then when you're on script, that's kind of the fun part. You kind of get to like, you get a little bit more breathing room in terms of like, okay, what makes this fun? How do I make this scene really interesting to read and really interesting to act. Because the other thing, like a real key learning that I had when I was on set last season was like, oh, (laughs) so basic. They just need some interesting things to say to fill the space in terms of like a rhythm of a scene. So just trying to make all of that sort of entertaining.
0: And what's the turnaround usually for those writer's drafts?
2: We get two weeks. I know there are rooms that you get a week. I know there are rooms where you barely get a week. It's a it's a time thing. You could tinker. I could probably tinker on this outline for another week. But at a certain point, you get too close to the work and you feel it. You know when you're done. You know when you need another set of eyes on it, for sure.
0: And can you speak to those experiences being a writer on set and those expectations?
2: Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is show up at rehearsal. It, look, all of this is like <laughs> just like basic, basic things. But You have to understand your number one job is to, again, stay out of people's way because this is not your home. This is other people's home. This is when the ADs take over. It's when the director takes over, your DP takes over, and stand back because those guys really know what they're doing. I think especially on a show like Ozark, we just had a, a production designer come in and show us some stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this is real. Like, they made it real. <laughs> like it's, it's You're always like, oh, I wrote that thing. But, like, somebody actually has to do that? <laughs> it's, it's literally just being there as, like, a support. And a lot of times, uh, on our show in particular, the showrunner has done a tone meeting with the directors before. So everybody, the line producer, the ADs, department heads, the director in particular – knows kind of what the feeling is of the episode. And they've, they've talked a lot of those things through. So everybody's kind of on the same page already. A lot of the actors will have already talked to the showrunner. You know, that's another, that's, that's again, that's something that I'm still learning is like working with actors. Again, a super basic thing. It's like people coming up to you and asking you like, what's the scene other than getting out information? Like what's the emotion that I have to present? I mean, that is their job is to present emotion. <laughs> Really basic things. Where does the scene fall? A script supervisor is going to be your best friend on set when actors come up and start asking, like, where is this? Like, where did I... What was the scene before? What's the scene after? A lot of those things. Again, I've been fortunate enough to be working on shows where actors are super professional. They know exactly what they're doing. They have been doing this for years and years and years, and there's relatively very little drama. But I've also heard of situations where actors are asking for rewrites like right on the spot and like having to manage that and maybe not getting support from your upper levels when things are being thrown into chaos. So it's really difficult to say it. That's kind of, again, it's like, it's a whole other set of social skills to be able to manage that. I have a director friend who I think you guys have interviewed and she's given me a lot of insight into working closely with people. And especially as a director, hearing her talk about how, you get thrown on a show; it's like you're a guest, you know. Like every, this is somebody else's house, so it's trying to make you know. And most times, like directors, kind of they've been through this and they know it, but it's it's answering questions that they have and making them feel supported in in a in a strange way. I think everybody just wants to feel like they're being seen and heard. <laughs> so it's <feel> loved. <laughs> you want to feel loved. You want to feel. Um, yeah. You, yeah. You just, you kind of just want to like be able to like soothe things over, but again, I've not had to deal with too much craziness. I'm sure that there are shows where things get ripped up at the last minute. Actors are getting pages at the last minute and you know, you get pulled into the swirl of that. So
1: it's really just trying to keep a level head. Do you get the opportunity to sit in on editing for your episodes as a staff writer, story editor? A or little
2: what's... bit. I mean, I could on Ozark, but not a ton. Yeah. I'll see cuts. I'll do like very minimal notes on cuts, but I did a little bit more of that, I think on Damages and Bloodline just to see mm-hmm. what the process is, but it just gets rewritten again in a really great way. And if you have editors who are fantastic at their jobs, which we have, it really makes you see things in the episode in a way that you didn't. There's a cut in my episode from last season that I did not see when I was writing the script. I don't think anybody saw like a matching of, of shots. Mm-hmm. And one of the editors, when they were going through the episode, they found it and it really made that sort of emotion and that scene like way better than we had ever sort of captured it on the page. So uh, those guys are your friends, man. They're gonna make it really beautiful.
0: And what were some of the differences between working on Damages versus Bloodlines versus Ozark?
2: One big difference is even from Damages to Bloodline, on Damages, everything was at one studio. We would shoot location in New York, but there was one home base. On Bloodline, it was really scattered. We had a a room in New York. We had a room in L.A. We were shooting in Florida. So it was really sort of separated in some ways. The amount of control that you have is extremely distant. A little bit similar on Ozark. We shoot in Atlanta. We write in L.A. So... If there are questions that come up during the middle of shooting, they have to be able to grab a showrunner pretty quickly. They have to be able to like get a writer pretty quickly. Again, it just comes down to trust. It's like you gotta you gotta trust that the line producer or the director or people on set are saying like, yeah, we have what we need in terms of shots.
1: What are some things you know now that you wish you knew when you were first starting out?
2: I guess what I would say is again, I think it's about stating your intention. It's okay to come into something and not know exactly what you want to do. But I kind of wish that I had admitted to myself a lot earlier that I just wanted to write. Took me a really long time. Like I just had like a ton of fear in terms of like approaching it. Oh, here's what I wish I'd learned. Seeing a therapist. (laughs) Go see a therapist. You know, you're going to be forced to talk about your feelings and express ideas out loud a lot. And I don't think that that is a skill that many people learn in life. It's actually, I think, a skill that nobody actually ever teaches you. So unless you've grown up being very verbal and being able to express your emotions, honestly, go see a therapist. There are things that are probably rattling around in your head that you need somebody to put some perspective on. It's some great story stuff at the end of the day (laughs) in terms of like being able to express an emotion that you have. I mean, I would say... 50 to 60% about being in a writer's room is being able to emotionally connect with those characters and being able to tell really personal stories and um, not burst out crying. <laughs> not, <laughs> you know, like You need to have processed a lot of those things, I think, before you can share them. So I think that is, strangely, that was like a very helpful thing for me, at least. You know, the thing that is hardest is just sort of believing that you can kind of get to it. It's very difficult if you, you know, you see something at the end of the line. But I'll tell you what, when you get here, it's just as scary. So it's like, the you know, it's like the journey continues, right? It's like you get here and you're like, oh, man, I know nothing. Like, I right. have such a long way to go in comparison.
1: Do you think that part of that kind of reluctance to say, yes, I am a writer and this is what I want to do is like imposter syndrome? Do you still kind of deal with that feeling sometimes? And-
2: it is that. I mean, for me in particular, as... Uh, like I'm Chinese American. So I'm first generation. I've, you know, I think this is pretty typical, but like, my parents really hammered it into me that you, you know, you do work that you know, you can support yourself with, right? It's like very, it's like you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're, it's like, you need that sort of like crutch. But I think it's important to remember that Yes, there is that. There is that very practical reason. But at the same time, you're going to work. It may not be the work you want to do. But if you are a writer, there are going to be times where you don't have jobs. I mean, we have pretty long hiatuses. It's like you have very dark moments in between where you have to remember that um, this is a thing that you really want to do. This is a thing that you really enjoy. And you kind of have to weigh what that difference is. Do you. You know, for a really long time, I was very unhappy with what I was doing, was not getting any sort of like sense of joy out of doing that. So you have to just remember, you got to weigh those two things. And I'm not going to say something cheesy, like go for your dreams, (laughs) because it's so difficult. But I think the most important thing you can do is just like, keep watching movies, keep reading things, have your pulse on what you like, and be able to still cultivate those skills. Title or no title... You can still be a writer. You can still do those things.
0: Speaking of work, what are some of your long-term goals? Do you want to be a showrunner, uh, develop projects?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I would love to one day have a show. I would love to maybe do some film stuff, although it sounds like that is probably the trickiest (laughs) thing to do these days. You hear writers all the time just talk about how difficult it is to get hired to do a movie. Nobody makes movies anymore. So I think a lot of it, you know, honestly, I'm in a very early stage of trying to navigate what that is. It is really, really tricky. I think there are a lot of pitfalls in this business. I think it is very easy to end up working on something that you don't really enjoy. A writer that I work with now actually has this motto. She's like, it's people, not projects. You want to find people that you really like, that you really enjoy working with who are super open. And that's what's gonna make the work enjoyable. And that's what's not gonna make you go home miserable, not wanting to work or on your own stuff. You know, it's all of that.
0: All right, before we go, we have a few final questions. And number one, what are you watching on TV right now?
2: Like I was saying to you guys, because I write drama, <laughs> and I need to relax with comedy so veeps and back Barry's and back um which is amazing i love, love 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 veep i can watch an episode 10 times and i know <laughs> i miss like 20 jokes in between um i've been watching a lot of that um i've been watching hannah on amazon i've been watching well game of thrones is this weekend so yeah. that's that's coming on <laughs> for sure i don't know i'm kind of everywhere i was watching like Marvelous Ms. Maisel. The other day I was watching, uh, I think it was like a French show on Netflix. I do a lot of like, and now what I love about Netflix is like, there's so much foreign content, Mm -hmm. which is great because there are a lot of like life stories and perspectives and opinions that you don't get in American TV. That's like, that's like the most enjoyable thing is like, oh, they did this thing and I don't know how (laughs) they did it, but they made that really organic and like really beautiful. So. I don't know. I'm always watching stuff. I accidentally watched Mamma Mia 2 last night. Accidentally? Yeah, like, oh, God. I mean, I'll watch anything.
1: You've already dispensed so much great advice, but do you have any, maybe one final piece of advice for TV writers or aspiring TV writers out there?
2: Stay curious. Even now, I think a really big skill that is necessary is... You know, I have times where I'm done with, on shows and I'm like, okay, I got to like put my head back into something and I'll read magazines. I'll read newspapers. I'll read. I'll, I It gives me a time when I'm not on a show to go back out into the world. It's really small things. You can walk around a museum, look at paintings, look at things, like go out into the world, get that inspiration, like keep up with other shows and books and music. Because I think, the most detrimental thing, you'll meet people who are like, I don't really like watch anything anymore. Or like, they'll say when you ask them the question, like, what are you watching on TV? Or like, what do you like? They're like, "Eh, nothing. And that always kind of like pisses me off. Because I'm like, well, don't you have to know like what you're doing in order to do a better (laughs) job at it? Like, it always like kind of drives me insane. So I mean, that's all I would say is like, Yeah, you got to kind of, you got to be social. I mean, it really, like, I think for writers especially, it's probably really hard because this is like, this is like, you know, these are indoor kids. Like, Uh nobody wants to get out there. But I think, you know, you got to remind yourself. I mean, I have to remind myself right now because I am trapping myself in a dark room all the time (laughs) that, um... You have to remember to interact with people. I mean, is that, that's so basic. It's like, you know, talk to people, talk to friends. You have to know what the world is doing so that you have story and that you can write about it. The thing about L.A. is that you never leave your house. In New York, you're kind of forced to go out all the time because everybody has crappy apartments. But here, it's like you get a little too comfortable. You get a little too relaxed. So you kind of have to remember to to get out there.
0: Yeah. And uh, lastly, do you have any resources for writers or assistants, be it books, apps, websites, podcasts, anything you can think of?
2: You know, there's a really great book. uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Bird by Bird. Mm -hmm. That was actually a really helpful book in terms of helping to sort of like silence like an inner critic when you're writing. A friend of mine and I had started reading this. uh, Invisible Ink, I think, is another great book about essentially when you look when you know when when you look at TV scenes. You have to think about what is unspoken. I was just watching Game of Thrones last night, and I was like, the dialogue in this show is is interesting, but it's actually <laughs> it's actually the way that they have framed the scene that is the most interesting. Right. It is the tension going into the scenes. It is the elements that they're playing with that are within the mythology of the show. Um, that is actually what is fascinating and. What makes that show kind of still interesting to watch, even though they were like on season six or something? <laughs> yes. So that was a great thing. And I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasts like this. I think there was a BAFTA one years ago where they would interview various, like, you know, film writers to talk about their process. And it's always interesting to hear people's processes, even small things where it's like somebody I work with is like, I have to handwrite everything before I type it up, because it helps my mind sort of like, because I think we're of that generation where we still wrote things <laughs> where, uh, they're like, it helps me to connect like muscle memory to things and it actually helps to generate dialogue more. And now I do that. Or I had a writer who I worked with on Bloodline who was a novelist. I remember asking him one day, like, what is the thing that you have that helps you write? And he was like, I have an app that turns off the internet on my computer. <laughs> And I got that. And guess what? I wrote things like it's, <laughs> it's tiny little things. It's, um, it's learning. It's really just like, it's really just learning habits of how to get yourself to sit down. I do everything in my power not to write. Like, <laughs> I spent, I would say, 60% of my energy, not writing, not sitting down to write. And then having to remind myself like, oh, it's actually, you know, just like last week I was saying to my husband, I was like, oh, I can write. Like I remember how to do this. Like (laughs) it's a muscle and you just have to remember to sort of like keep using it.
1: But I would say that. Absolutely. Well, before we go, uh, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get exclusive content, opportunities, merch. uh, You can ask questions, all that kind of thing. And we can keep producing a great show for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. And thanks to Ning for joining us.
0: Thank you. Thank you, guys. Of course. Thanks for being here. And uh, you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 135. As always, I'm on
1: Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Are you on Twitter or any other social media people can follow you at. Oh, hell no. <laughs> no. You don't want people to find you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't. I can't. That's too much. All
1: right, leave her alone. <laughs> and
0: and uh, next week, we'll, we'll be uh, doing our regular paper scraps slash paper news, whatever we call it these days, uh, segment episode. Uh huh. Where we talk about all the dirty deets that's been happening in the TV running world. We'll
1: see you guys next week. See you there.